Welcome back to another episode of the podcast. With me this week is Tim Larson. Tim Larson is the writer, creator, and artist behind the hit indie series Mayfield 8. Mayfield 8 is a grindhouse 70s motorcycle adventure epic that I cannot recommend highly enough. And right now, his newest issue is live on Kickstarter. So once you're done listening to this episode, head on over to Kickstarter and back the project. So without further ado, enjoy the chat. Computer. All right, Tim. So thanks again for uh, joining with me. The uh, part part two, no one in the world will hear part one, but me and you uh, will have fond memories over that. So thanks again for joining me, man. Can I interject here with, uh, it's kind of like a reference to the 70s in a, a blight way. Okay. Um, for, the, for the readers, it's like my comic book set in 1974, like the height of the end of the Nixon era. Remember like your history where you got um, swamped with Watergate and the, the controversy and having to hand over tapes of the uh, Oval Office. And there's the missing 18 minutes and all that. So in the, the theme, he is kind of like missing uh, missing tapes, missing conversations. <laughs> yes, we, we, have a miss, we have a missing tape. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. So, Tim, uh, thanks again, man, and uh, for, for joining me, like I said. And, uh, you know, uh, I said this last time when we were talking, but, uh, you know, I, I truly mean it. I, I really, really enjoy Mayfield 8. I really love what you're doing uh, with that comic. And so um, can you just kind of, uh, for those who don't know anything about Mayfield 8, can you kind of talk to us a little bit about what, yeah. what Mayfield 8 is? And just uh, one thing I didn't ask you last time, which, um, you know, I'm glad we're we're here, we're doing it again, is kind of where did the, the seeds of this idea come from? Because it's really... Uh, in a very specific time and place that I think is really unique. And I was just kind of curious after you talked to us uh, about kind of what Mayfield Day is all about, kind of where did it kind of come from? Okay. Well, let me start with a jumping on point for people listening that Mayfield Day is a six part story set in Southwest United States, um, 1974, like just over like a three or four day period of a young guy who's a fry cook who uh, goes on a, um, on a road trip to celebrate his birthday. And along the way, he has a mix up with a biker gang who uh, he gets even with a head biker by spray painting him in the face. And he tears off in the end of issue one, he finds out that um, he has to hang out at the biker bar where none other than that same biker gang that he kind of pissed off that morning <laughs> is at. Then issue two, um, there's more mayhem that ensues where uh, the, the, there's a huge fight and he barely gets away with his life. And he's on the run now from the, the biker gang that's after him. And issue three uh, follows that. And it follows the thread of um, some other characters in the story, like a crooked cop who's, who's on the take um, a little more with the, um, the underworld that, uh, that he kind of got mixed in um, by agreeing to this uh, road trip from just a couple days before and so uh, it's a really exciting story, and I, I recommend you go on Kickstarter to look it up. All you got to do is look up uh, Faster Faster is the name of part three, okay? And that's for anybody that could look at it. Right now I got my campaign running, um, not quite at the halfway point, but there's plenty of time. There's like uh, over two weeks left on the campaign. So there's a lot of pledge levels that are still up for grabs. Um, anyway, to... Um, talk about the inspiration, like the second part of your question there. I think that um, 
as far as characters go and all that, that's they've been kind of stirring around in my head for many, many years. But it was um, the show uh, Breaking Bad that was on like a few years back that really motivated me to tell a story that's uh, kind of based on real characters and real settings and um, putting somebody who doesn't, who is not given a, a whole set of powers or abilities or strengths, but has to rely on his ingenuity to get out of a very difficult situation. I mean, Cal Ryder in my story says this young kid who, you know, we, we were 17. Do you ever think correctly back then and <laughs> make good decisions for yourself? No. <laughs> Absolutely and not. So, I, have, I have no idea how I survived being a teenager. Yeah. And so <laughs> like he gets in a lot of trouble, but then so did like Walter White, uh, Brian Cranston's Walter White in Breaking Bad, who's finds out that he's got cancer and there's no way that he could afford to pay for the treatments. And he just like in a 48 hour period, he takes a wrong turn by saying, well, Hey, I, I'm really an expert at science. I know how to make meth uh, crystal meth better than anybody else could. So <laughs> I'll, I'll hook up with this uh, low life uh, drug peddler friend of mine who dropped out of my class and together we'll, I'll make enough money to pay for my uh, medical treatments and keep my family out of bankruptcy. So <laughs> I, I, that really intrigued me uh, to, to think about storylines like that. Like you or I, we're, we're always like one step away from making the wrong turn, the wrong decision where we would be not just in a little trouble, but like in serious trouble. <laughs> and, yeah. And, uh, I, I definitely, you know, I, I've, you know, I've read, I'm, I'm a fan of the series and I've read uh, Mayfield eight and I definitely see that like just the, uh, the one bad move or the one bad turn, you know, it's like, the only difference between you and, and someone in jail is, you know, a bad decision or a couple mm-hmm. of bad decisions. And I definitely see that. And I also see like a lot of, um, a, a lot of like really the, the main character has a lot of warmth and you can tell that he's like at heart, a good person, even though he does, you know, lack of a better word, stupid stuff. Um, mm-hmm. And so like, kind of where did that, um, you know, where did he kind of come from um, as a character? Cause I could tell you have a lot of fun kind of writing, a lot yeah. of these different characters you you, you definitely oh, one of my favorite characters is the one i think it's an issue too don't quote me on this where it's a guy with a shotgun and he kicks the door open oh frank no, I'm talking, frank okay yeah uh he he's one of my favorite characters in this and i can just tell like the the cast kind of is is large um but it also feels really self-contained really feels very um mm-hmm. Uh, not not tighten it, but it feels organic. Uh, and I can tell you have a lot of fun not only drawing them, but writing them. So just kind of what was it like kind of playing with all these characters? Oh, well, it was a lot of fun. Um, I think maybe Calvin, the, the center, central character, um, he's probably the the most fleshed out, but really not um, not from myself or not any part of my life or anything. It's just that I had to have he had to have substance to him. So over the weeks, months, and years that I'm writing the script for this, um, there's certainly a, a good deal of pushback that the character is giving me when I'm inventing scenes or scenarios. I'm thinking, well, what would this guy actually do? What would he really behave if I put him in this situation? And I kind of go with that. Other characters, they are, yeah, they're kind of bits and pieces of people I knew and kind of archetypes or stereotypes. Um, of, of of friends that you had, you know, a friend that was kind of really overly confident or another person you knew that was like a hair trigger temper or somebody that um, 
that just looks menacing and you just really don't want to cross. And those are kind of like their archetypes or their, uh, their, their tropes, their, their characters that uh, kind of fulfill their own destiny. But the main character, Calvin, I'd say is more like um, kind of built up out of, uh, out of bits and pieces that I've uh, made for my imagination. Yeah. I, uh, you know, one thing I do when I'm writing is I, I, I usually have someone in mind, like a, a real person, like my aunt, my uncle, you know, a, a friend down the street, whatever. And I usually mm-hmm. have them as like the, the base or the template as I begin writing. But as I write and get in and get into the series, I start, you know, shedding the real person off and putting on like the, who that character actually is and becoming. And so I kind of use them as like a, uh, like you said, kind of like a template or an archetype and then uh, mm-hmm. uh, move from there. That's kind of our start, my starting point. So they don't feel um, hollow, right? They don't feel like stick figure uh, characters. They have some three right. dimension. There's some three dimensional aspects and parts to them. And it, it helps with everything from, from dialogue to how they react um, in a certain situation. And then as you start writing, you start figuring out, and that character kind of becomes more and more um, unique or individualized. And I, I definitely see that you've done a lot of that stuff because uh, all the mm-hmm. characters, they, they, they sound and act and, and do things, you know, completely unique to those characters. And it's just, it, it's just a, it's just a blast. It's like a really fun uh, comic man that you got. And uh, oh, thank you. Yeah. yeah and well, it's, it's awesome. A lot of it is uh, also writing the outline. I, I can't stress that enough of people if they want to really, make a um unless you're doing like a short story you know that's different if it's just an eight pager or what have you you don't have to go so deep in his outline of the entire story arc but um using some of those um uh, pointers that some people have come across like uh, come up with the ending first and then work your way back i thought that was just such bs but then um once i tried doing that um it really opened up um a whole new levels of, of storytelling and what that helps to do is um when i come up with different characters not only do they have their own personalities and emotives but they have their own um direction like even though i'm not writing about that one character right now i know in the story in the background they're up to this or they're up to that they're on their they're on their own trajectory that's that's kind of in the background and um I can kind of rely on that when they do appear in the story that it makes sense and it's grounded and it, the, 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 um, the passing of time uh, seems realistic for each character as they pop up. And um, even though you haven't really seen um, blow by blow what they've gone through in the same period of time. That's a lot of words to just say <laughs> a real simple thing. But, uh, <laughs> no, no, I totally get it, man. It's, I like, love it, it's but... like a chess board. It's like a chess game where you, you got the pawns and you got yeah. the knight back here. And you know that the knight could make a move and occupy this side of the board. So you have to be aware of that, even though um, your next move, you're not using the knight, you're using the pawn. So it's, yeah. it's kind of like that. Yeah. I love, so you, you mentioned, you mentioned outlining now, how, what type of outlining do you do? How much do you do and how much um, do you kind of let, uh, kind of let, let it go, if you will, just kind of go by the seat of your pants. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, the story arc is very, very loose and it's just thoughts and 
and scenes and uh, ideas that I put together. And if, if I have a general idea where that story, like I said, the story's going to end up in a certain spot, then it's okay to start out um, with uh, part one or issue one and, and get that going before you have the complete arc finished. But it really should, you should have a good knowledge about what the arc should be before you get further into the story. Uh, and the, the method I use is I use uh, just simply outline format in a Word doc, in Microsoft, um, and you can go in, um, you can customize it. So instead of saying like Roman numeral one and capital letter A, whatever outlines are, you can customize it. So it says like page one, page two, um, and then bullet points for the, the, the roughly idea, like the panels, what will be in the panels. But like I said, that's a real, real general kind of feeling. And it's more to kind of see um, the course of the story of how many pages things take up. And because as an artist, I can look at a scene and go, okay, um, that's easily going to be a page and a half or two pages. And I can budget that in the story and see how how it goes on further and further so that I'm not, um, I'm keeping it at a good clip so I can reach the ending at at a proper time. Um, And then like another feature I do in the outline, it's not part of the story, but it's, uh, it's things that pop up that are notable, like uh, scenes of extreme violence or <laughs> extreme sexual content, or I'll have that in, in red ink um, in the outline itself. So that as I'm breezing through it and glancing at this big giant document, I can go, okay, are there enough juicy bits <laughs> scattered here and there so that uh, the story doesn't like have a long expositionary period or a long flat period, but um, so yeah, the outline is important. And then like the, uh, the actual scripting itself, um, I use another kind of outline that, um, is a little more defined where it goes page and then panel and then the, the character or sound effect. And then the words, the character says, or what the sound, the sound effect makes. And it's just a step down, step down thing in outline format. And the cool thing about that, Andrew, is that, um, I can highlight sections of that and play around with it. Like if I highlight it and then on the computer, I hit the arrow keys and move it up or down, the document will automatically renumber itself all the, all the parts so that I don't have to worry about um, um, keeping things out of order or, or, you know, keeping the order straight. Cause that, that was such a hassle for me to remember what was on page one and versus page two or page three. And I like the idea that you can play around with that a little bit. Um, now, I think that other people have different um, software preferences, but for myself, if you really kind of dive into uh, Word and uh, learn how to work with outlines, it's really rewarding because you can, you know, you can go customize it and, and that. Now, the, the script itself um, uh, might have specific uh, directions as to what character, what who does what and how the panels are arranged and all that, but oftentimes I'll um, just leave the script alone, just start drawing pages a little bit for a few passages and, and then work backwards and put the, the, uh, the, the script in it, like, uh, matching the pages that I've drawn, especially if there's like a lot of action and a lot of, you know, violence and mayhem, <laughs> maybe better just to, um, kind of draw, draw the pages out like Marvel method, just do the, the visuals first and then put in the, the words.
Yeah, I was, I was going to ask since you are both a writer and an artist, right? And and a color, yeah, you color your stuff too. Do you letter it? Yeah, you once you're a one stop shop, man. That's uh, yeah. I, I hired a flatter for a little while, but I do some of that too as well. But yeah, yeah, that's uh, more power to you, man. I'm I'm envious and 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 jealous, and uh, also, how do you like find the time for all that stuff? Like, I feel like it's like that's a lot to put on the plate. Yeah, it, it is. It is. A, it's a challenge. Um, I learn how to do a few um, workarounds and a few ways of saving some time. I'm not as fast as the fastest people, but um, um, like, for example, I could tell you like the coloring state in each uh, page. Um, like when I have the uh, the sections of color uh, blocked out, that's called flatting. For, I don't know if any audience is familiar with how comic books are made. Flatting is like like turning it into a jigsaw puzzle kind of like you have all the, the parts that there were patches of color are going to land. And so I got the, the, that document ready in Photoshop, but then I'll do another one in Photoshop where it's just roughly colored in. And the idea is just to make the colors match the, what I'm kind of shooting for and not trying to, you know, stay inside the lines, quote unquote. <laughs> okay. So I got that loose one that was just banged out that's where it's kind of scribbly and messy. But if you, um, like if you look at it from a distance, if you turn into a thumbnail, it, the, the colors fit more or less what the page should look like. Then I'll, it's a process where I take that color layer and I make several copies of it, several layers on a Photoshop document. And then I'll take the flatted layers and, uh, clone or turn them into the colored layers. So like, let's say I have a messy picture with me, my face and the background and my desk, the different colors for each one. Then I'll have the flatted document where my face is exactly outlined. The desk is outlined, the walls outlined, the color document then replaces each layer of that flatted document. And then, uh, I can go in layer to layer to layer and just um, clean it up a little bit. So that's a real complicated way of explaining it. But let's say you have that page, like I said, all ready to color and you look at it and it looks all messy, but you can click like say the sky and now you're on the sky layer, which is typically on the back, on the lowest layer. And you can clean that up real fast shoot, 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 and, and just uh, get that ready. And then you work up and there's a person's jacket and you click on that layer and then you, clean up that area and it's all done with uh, masking with um, like uh, like you can just if you learn a few keys a few um, navigation keys in Photoshop it's real easy to go click and click and click and click into different parts of what you uh, are coloring and take that messy document and just clean it up uh, I don't know how else to describe it better I, I have a tutorial on uh, on YouTube where I describe how that, that method is done. Yeah, that's but. awesome. So <laughs> my, I guess my, my next natural kind of question is, um, do you have a, a schedule in which you go, all right, on Mondays I write, on Tuesdays I pencil, on Wednesdays I ink, on Thursdays I flat, and like, is it like cycled oh. or is it or is it just like, all right, this week I have to do the whole script, next week I'll do the pencils, or like, how does that well, yeah. work? Yeah, I do, I do large portions at a time like uh i ink by hand so it's done it's not done digitally but it's done with old school uh nibs and uh india ink 
That's awesome. And man. so there's a lot of there's a lot of wet lines if you're working on one page at a time. So I'll actually uh, gang it up and I'll work on like six, seven, or eight pages all at once, so that while I'm waiting for the ink to dry on some pages, I can work on others. And then for that color process I was talking about, I'll oftentimes um, just make one giant Photoshop document with, um, say, four or five or six pages all clumped together and just color it all at once. Uh, I find it's, that's an easy way to keep the continuity together and uh, kind of see where you are as far as uh, the flow of the story and all that. So um, as far as art goes, I, I have a schedule, but it's um, anything art related. It, it doesn't matter what I'm working on, whether it's inking or coloring. Um, you know, Naturally, I like to uh, finish off pages before I start new pages. So Right now I'm on, um, I got page Mayfield 8, I got part three, I got one through nine finished. And then uh, 10 through 24 are, it's penciled and lettered. And then um, I got to ink and color those. And then the rest of the story is 25 through 30, I believe. So I that, haven't even started those yet. That's awesome. Now for for Mayfield 8 that, that you're working on and, uh, you know, Mayfield 8 number three, issue three is on Kickstarter right now. How, how long do you have, like, this is going to be X amount of issues or you're just going to keep going until the wheels fall off? Like what's, uh, do you have like a game plan for kind of what oh, you're yeah. doing with the series? Yeah, it is a six part story arc. And so there's definitely story-wise, there's six sections where um, my hero, Calvin Ryder is going to, uh, come to a, uh, a bit of an epiphany or a, a point of no return uh, where he has to really make some tough decisions for himself and take things on for himself. And there's um, there's characters and people that kind of help him along the way, but for the most part, he's on his own. And that pretty much is, is set. So like I said, uh, there's a six-issue storyline. I'm working with a guy who was a big fan of the Sons of Anarchy show on the Facebook mm-hmm. page, so much so that he was writing his own kind of fan fiction. Like you hear that a lot about Star Wars and Star Trek, but he was... He was doing in, it for Mayfield 8? No, 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 no. Oh, oh, let me finish here. He <laughs> oh, was okay. doing it for Sons of Anarchy with two characters uh, that really didn't interact that much in the show, like Opie and Tara. And then I said to him, well, your writing is really good. Um, here, I'll tell you what, if... if um, if you like, you can just take those two characters and just um, transplant them into my story and just change out instead of um, the Sons of Anarchy, he can be a member of the Banshee uh, Biker Motorcycle Club. And so he did that with just slight alterations of their names, but pretty much they're the same kind of characters. And he's written me a, this really interesting, uh, very, very adult level story, but... Uh, <laughs> but uh, a piece of prose that is going to go in the back of the comic book uh, once it gets funded as a oh, that's awesome. extra in the back. And his writing is so good that I'm actually altering a, a, a little part of the story. There's a part in the story where the Banshees tr- try to track down where Calvin is by approaching the DMV department of motor vehicles to get his um, address. And my writer friend, uh, changed that all around to his characters uh, on a side mission for the, for the biker gang are, are getting information 
as well. And his version is much more interesting than mine. <laughs> so I'm, I'm really, I'm looking forward to just kind of grafting some of his story and I'm going to have to give him a little bit of writer credit on when I get to that point of the comic book. Well, that's awesome, man, that you kind of have uh, someone, some doing some fan uh, fiction for your own, your own stuff. That's, that's really, yeah. Cool, it man. benefits us both. He's really getting into this and, and the characters are getting fleshed out a little more. And it's interesting when somebody else takes on some of your story and they start running with it, how um, uh, these things can kind of take on a life of their own. Yeah, that's that's really cool, man. I I really can't wait to to read it. Um, I know Mayfield Eight takes place in like a really specific time and place in like New Mexico in the seventies and with biker gangs. Now, how much of that stuff did you kind of already know? Just or in how much did you have to research? Because I know with me, sometimes um, I end up doing a lot of research on, on some of the, the places and topics and things um, that I'm, you know, going to be writing. So I was just wondering how much you had to do uh, for Mayfield 8. Well, I, I, I read a couple of books before even starting the comic book. I read Sonny Barger's uh, by, uh, autobiography. Uh, he, was, he founded the Hells Angels in 1959. And um, I read a few like undercover cops tell all stories about infiltrating gangs and trying to uncover, um, you know, so, and it's really interesting what they talk about. Like, it's not just like they put on a a vest and they hop on a Harley and, you know, on the weekends they go back to their family. These guys like got to spend years like <laughs> g- completely yeah, underground and they work up a story. Like I got, uh, I, I got a job in Oklahoma. I got to go to a construction job and that's their family. You know, they go out there and then for like a two week window, they're with their family. Then they're back on being deep undercover. And it's like, wow, it's really interesting to read, read all the stories. Cause like once they sign on, they, they want to become from a prospect to a member, the, these clubs, you know, they, they go in and investigate everything about your past, every, your past jobs, your social security, and they go after everything in the background. So that kind of found its way into my comic book story a little bit. Um, there's other things too that's really interesting when you research the whole war on drugs thing. And you know, Breaking Bad talks about the the DEA a lot. Department of um, um, what does that stand for? DEA uh, drugs, <laughs> drugs something. And um, <laughs> I wish I knew. Okay. I don't know. Anyway, uh, anyway yeah, the DEA. Um, it got started in 1973. So in my storyline, like it's only a year old, um, drug enforcement agency. Is that yeah. it? I think so. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. Sounds weird. It's like, it's like, a, sounds like they're going to make you take drugs. Not <laughs> <laughs> right. You got to right. take, take this. Method. Yeah. <laughs> we're going to enforce this. But anyway, um, yeah, it was whole Nixon's like war on drugs stance that Reagan also kind of picked up on. And, um, the DEA started in 1973. And as I researched it more, this kind of lined up with a cool part of the story. There was this, um, this uh, small group, they called it Operation Trident, that actually did operate in like um, New Mexico and Texas and in that area. And it was the one document I could find was kind of sketchy about what they really were, but I kind of fabricated a, a whole bunch of stuff in Mayfield A where I'm going to pick up on that and, using the word trident, I'm thinking, well, perhaps like FBI, DEA, and local law enforcement, that's the, the three part, three pronged um, mm-hmm. spear. And so there's going to be like a backstory that's kind of glommed onto actual 
real events of that era. So, you know, to answer your question, it's like when you start researching stuff, there's a whole gold mine of things you can find. Like if you were to do a comic book about the Civil War, I'd say just go pick up a book or two on, on the Civil War and read. You might find some interesting factoid or something that really happened that, that could really um, give your story some bones. You know, something that, um, that you could just um, rest it against without just making it up as you go along. Yeah, and it's, uh, you know, what I found is I found there's like a fine line for me. Um, I don't know if you, you ever, you felt like this, but like when I do researching there's like a fine line between like gathering enough information to where it enriches my story and just me like procrastinating from doing my work Mm -hmm. it's just like i'm just like all right well all right i've done enough for you i got like to tell myself all right you've done enough research you you got it man you let's just go Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. has that ever happened to you where you're like all right enough is enough i got where i need i got what i needed yeah yeah um yeah, there's a, little, a lot of times you got to skim things over. You can't just um, you, you can't um, get every single nut and bolt exactly accurate. And there's things that might happen where you go, "Oh, I guess that didn't happen." Like for example, so it's a trivial thing, but um, like a women's hairstyles. Remember, you're, you're too young to remember, but like Farrah Fawcett ushered in a whole different look and um, the, the flip haircut, the flip hairdo, where you're, you're <laughs> it's styled to look like your hair's parted sideways blowing in the wind and it was all the rage but it wasn't all the rage in 1974 even though i had a character wear her hair like that it came more like in 1976 so it'd be like a little part that doesn't quite match up but uh, it's time to move on after that like it, it no one's yeah. really to notice or care yeah for <laughs> sure for sure yeah i know um i know one thing that um we've we've me and you have talked about before um and it's uh kind of how um you you no longer have to kind of um look for a big publisher to get your work out right and you could kind of um do everything on your own and cultivate your own audience and that's definitely something um that like I've been watching you do for a long time um, and it's kind of, I was wondering this kind of like how your, your, your thought process is with that and just how you you go about doing it because uh, Mayfield 8, you, you've, you've kind of got like the Sons of Anarchy fans coming in and comic mm-hmm. book fans and you're doing like a really cool job of cultivating this, you know, specific audience for yourself. Um, and so I was just, you know, curious and kind of how, how you're going about it and what you're doing with that. Well, it, it's a long process and it takes some time and, I've had some success with uh, Facebook ads, with um, sending out an offer of um, a free first issue download. You know, by the way, somebody could do that right now. I believe you just type in a subscribe.timsnotebook.com and um, you get a, a free PDF download of uh, Mayfield 8 Part 1. And that worked out pretty good. I got some some people that are really on board with that and, and interested in the story and and they like following what I'm working on. Um, as far as um, fan pages like Sons of Anarchy, you got to be a little bit careful with that because you can really come off as being very salesy if you're mentioning your project all the time. And you have to uh, take this um, stance of where you have to give more than you're taking. And you have to really think about what, what they're doing, why they set up their fan site or what they're all about first before you can um, assume that they're going to be interested in, in what you're working on. 
Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a process. You use all sorts of different, um, avenues at your disposal. Um, you know, I work two jobs and people I, I work with, I talk about what I'm working on and I'm, you know, I got a lot of people that I work with that are interested in my comic and are on my, um, subscriber list and, you know, <laughs> like to know what I'm up to. And I try to be consistent with the list too. I try to twice a week, have an email that comes out that, um, it's either interesting stuff about the 1970s perhaps, or a comic book review of something that's on my desk that I've, I've been reading or again, you know, something that is more marketing driven where it's about me and my comic book and my project that I'm working on right now. It's kind of heavily into the market stuff. Cause we are like two weeks in to go a little more than two weeks of uh, Mayfield eight on the Kickstarter. So, um, but it's just taking the stance that I got stuff that's, that's worth looking at and looking worth reading. And uh, if you like it, great. If, if you don't like it, well, that's fine. It's not for you. <laughs> Everybody's got their own taste. So, yeah, I know, you know, it really, I, I told you this before, but it really resonated with me when, you know, you and I were talking um, and I was just saying, I, I want you know, one of my goals is to, you know, go on X publisher or Y publisher. That's something that I wanted. And when you were like, Hey, you know, Andrew, you don't, you don't need to do that stuff. It really kind of opened my eyes and made me reevaluate kind of what I wanted to do um, with my comic books career. And it kind of gave me a little bit more kind of agency to like, all right, like I, I, I really don't need any of those, those, you know, those publishers and kind of put a little bit more onus on me kind of cultivating my own audience. And so I just, I wanted to say thank you again for, for saying that to me, because I think it definitely opened my eyes and allowed me to kind of uh, see the forest through the trees, if you will. Okay. (laughs) I I missed the last 10 seconds. Oh, nothing. I was just, I was just, you know, uh, um, singing your praises and how you you changed my point of view. So I, I was just saying oh, thank you and I appreciate it. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Yeah. So you talked a little bit about the the Kickstarter. Can you uh, let us know kind of what are, what right. are some of the uh, um, reward tiers are? Because I think there's some awesome tiers. Um, well, I've got basically it's just a lot of comic books for less and less money per book. And the more and more you back. And there's two reward tiers that are wide open right now, 69 and 149. Uh, I believe you get um, several back issues of Mayfield 8. And there's a special um, creator's cut copy where I save all the the penciled pages and cobble that together along with the script and turn that into a comic book. And this week um, coming up will be uh, the variant covers. I've been working on several variant covers for uh, Mayfield 8 Part 3, and they're really cool. Um, ones I just finished one where character of Maxine French is uh popping this awesome wheelie on her harley and just <laughs> the front forks are raised up into the sky and there's smoke and flame everywhere that's awesome and the next one i'm working on right now as we before we started talking was a, a very a scared woman in the story she's hiding out in a motel and she's looking through the, the blinds of the window the venetian blinds and in the reflection is like a horde of bikers descending on the parking lot looking probably looking for her that actually was inspired by um I saw an old Walking Dead cover of a big giant eyeball. Uh, and I was like, well, what's this all about? And you look closer and it's it's Rick reflected in the right 
eyeball the guy with the, he's got his hatchet with him, Rick Grimes. And so it looks like this man with a hatchet looking for something he's trying to defend himself against. And it's, you know, it's the zombie's eye that's reflecting it. Uh, so you got to look that's at cool. it for a moment or two. So I was kind of inspired by that. So that one I'm doing. And then um, I guess I'll, I'll blab it out of a big secret exclusive to your podcast. Ooh, the I third variant will actually be, well, Mayfield 8, but think Sons of Anarchy, Opie and Terra, but they're, they're Gary and Teresa, I want to say. <laughs> <laughs> but those two on the cover as well. Nice. That's awesome. Yeah, they're yeah. at their Hacienda at their home. So that's awesome. Uh, like a yeah. spinning image of Ryan Hurst and, uh, and Maggie Siff. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I know, um, as, um, as the artist on this, you were doing, I don't know if you're still doing it. I don't know if we missed it, but you were doing kind of like some, uh, were they Sons of Anarchy, like sketches that you're putting into some, uh, um, some oh, of the yeah. cards. Yeah. Those have already gone and come and gone like the first week. I had 20 of those up for grabs and those 20 have been handed out. Uh, later next week, I'll be putting up um, you in the comic book slash you in the uh, there's a poster actually, and that'll be coming up further down, but I want to get the um, variant covers out first and to the public before I start on that second thing. But yeah, there's, there's some pretty cool stuff that's happening later on. Just go to the Kickstarter and uh, you know, check the updates and yeah. see what the latest is yeah getting drawn in uh not only the comic but in in the poster too those are that's uh some pretty sweet stuff mm-hmm. yeah the poster will be a smaller uh pledge level and then the you and the comic will be higher but these characters are actually not just a one and done throwaway background character they're actually be recurring characters in the story so it's not just a one time but you'll be if you choose that level uh you'll be in it um definitely for the next issue and on that's awesome uh, yeah now how much uh like how much like extra writing or anything do you do on that do you like um collaborate with the backer like how how is that gonna work because i think that's a really cool tier to be like a recurring character Mm -hmm. um well i haven't had anybody say like hey i have to i have to say this or say that so (laughs) i'll cross that road when i get to it i suppose um people are just generally happy that they can have their image image in it yeah i when when i when i've uh when i've done that um the backers have always been really great and uh when i've offered like to have them uh have a speaking role they've uh you know let me do kind of my own thing which is which is always really really fun a lot of fun to to mess around with and uh mm-hmm. you know it adds a it adds a, a nice little personal touch too where um you get your fans you know wanting your work so you know so much that they're a part they're literally a part of your work which is really cool yeah yeah because like uh yeah you can be a fan of a movie but how where can you like hit up a film director and say hey could you like uh, let me just walk in the scene and be in the be in the movie with you no <laughs> yeah and even and even if like you're like an extra like oh there's me in the background for a half a second where like you're you know on the page you know on the page immortalized yeah, forever that's mm-hmm. uh that's definitely awesome yeah so uh what are some uh you know this is your definitely third Kickstarter for Mayfield eight. So I was just, you know, mm-hmm. curious, just kind of um, a lot of the listeners, um, you know, do Kickstarters or are part of the Kickstarter uh, community. So I was just kind of wondering some tips, tricks, kind of 
things that you've picked up along the way um, doing okay. you know, a couple Kickstarters? Um, well, you have to really engage an audience first and have an audience that you bring to the Kickstarter platform because Kickstarter isn't really going to bring an audience to you. You have to bring it to it. And, um, you know, we both belong to the comics launch, uh, mastermind group. Um, I would suggest strongly to, to look up, uh, Tyler James in comics launch. Um, I think it's spelled C O M I X L A U N C H. And, you know, in the, your liner notes, maybe you can give a link out to that. Um, that's hugely helpful in, um, getting your mind around what the process it takes to, um, to run a Kickstarter. And really it's, it's about um, just being in charge of, of uh, your fan base and your group and knowing that it's, everything's good. You're going to keep building it. You're going to keep making it stronger and bigger as you go on. Kickstarter will help you. Certainly if you, if you fund and you get your comic book rolling, uh, but really it comes down to you reaching out to people and, and having them like your, your stuff and wanting to see more. So it, on all levels, the social media, you know, talking face to face and we get back out of the COVID-19 era, we go back to conventions and, um, you know, connecting with people that way. Um, so yeah, I guess, um, for me personally, it's just, um, just being open and being willing to, uh, every day spend time uh, building your base. I don't know if you do this, but when I've, when I run campaigns, I'm like habitually just staring at my phone or my computer and hitting refresh. Like at at one point on my last campaign, I had to put a timer on my, like I had to put a timer. I was like, (laughs) all right, I'm not going to, I'm going to have complete like internet, like uh block it like no no internet total shutdown blackout for like a three-hour period otherwise i'd just be hitting refresh refresh and just driving myself crazy not only myself but my wife crazy and that's when i was like okay Mm -hmm. like now that she's involved i gotta i gotta put the uh the brakes on this i don't know if you've experienced that i I think it's like yeah yeah pretty common (laughs) yeah like my day job i say to myself i can't i'm not gonna look at my phone until the break time you know lunch time or break you know, they can, then I can take a look at it. But uh, yeah, for a while, Kickstarter was like having these announcements, uh, new activity on your campaign and you know that you got to shut off right away. Otherwise, it's just going to drive yeah, you just, nuts. And... Yeah, it's just <laughs> pinging you all the yeah, time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then it gets, yeah. it gets weird when, they, when it's not pinging you. <laughs> then, you're, then you think it's worse. Like, oh, no, what's going on? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, yeah, you got you to remember it's a process and um, – and there's um, there's a lot of other Kickstarters out there too, and there could be people that um, you know that they're they're looking around and they see your pro- their your comic book, they see other people's comic books as well. So yeah, so uh, changing gears a little bit, and uh, I kind of wanted to talk to you about this. I'm glad you're you're on here because I, I didn't ask you on the lost tapes that no one will ever find. <laughs> didn't, didn't ask you on the, on this. Uh, but so, uh, did have you ever? Because um, I've talked about this with a couple comic creators. Um, have you ever experienced kind of this this imposter syndrome thing where you feel like? oh you know like maybe i'm not good enough maybe i don't want to do that because i've i haven't 
I, I get a little bit of the imposter syndrome, but I, I think I've talked to you know, the mastermind group um, about like in, in January, for whatever reason, I was just like about to hang it up for mm-hmm. a, a second or two um, until I kind of got my bearings right and kind of had a, a talk with myself. So I was wondering if you ever have any of that, like those, like um, as a creative, any of those kind of mental battles with yourself. Um. Not so much with comic books. To give you a, a better um, understanding of where I come from, Andrew, I came from an art background from many years ago of uh, doing paintings and some printmaking in art school. And I guess this isn't really answering your question, but if, if you address the question of uh, frustration rather or feeling out of place instead of imposter syndrome, um, I didn't really feel like I was I was really fitting in the art community in any specific place. It was all so personal. Like you you make a painting, you hang it on the wall, and and, and just in a critique in a few minutes, they're talking about you and your mood and your. <laughs> and it got to be so invasive, and I just was kind of scared of making anything in in art school with for fear of uh, being discovered. You know, my interpersonal self. And I just thought that was really inhibiting. And times of I would be, I'm more of an introvert than an extrovert. So times I'm away from school, I was working on my sketchbook and coming up with ideas on my own. It felt more private. And then, but ironically, it doesn't really lend itself much to a, a classroom environment um, in a social environment. And I was really, really frustrating. I, I actually went all the way through, got my bachelor's degree. Then I went to graduate school and still did paintings and printmaking. And along the whole process, it was okay, but I really wasn't developing anything as a career out of it. But then I kind of got into comics more and more and did less and less painting. And I found the the, the, the cool thing about comics is that you make something. Uh, well, there's, there's two things. I'll talk about the first thing. Um, you make a comic whether it's one page or 20 page or just a couple panels and you show it to somebody and immediately they're, they're reading the words and their eyes are following the characters. They're in the story and they look at me, they, they participate, participate and they, they hand it back to you and go, Oh, that's really cool. And not once they go, well, what are you all about? What do we, let's talk about you. <laughs> so you're kind of off the table. You're also, you made this, but the two of you, the, 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 audience and the artists they're kind of participating in this shared environment which you don't really get in in painting and printmaking and the the second thing um about that was oh geez i forgot um let's see making the comment um oh, oh okay i remember what the second thing was in painting like you spend hours and hours on a scene um you know, with the, the people, say it's a, it's a landscape, there's a table, there's a picnic or forest or whatever you're painting. And you love it. It's great. It's wonderful. But then you think, well, I'm kind of stuck looking at that scene from that one angle the whole time. And I don't really, I'm not in the mood of painting another painting just slightly from a different angle, <laughs> you know, you know. But in comic books, you can't make one panel or one scene so precious. It's a sequential story. So you have the character and a place, say a place down the street on the road in a city, then the next panel might be a little further down the road uh, and it has this kind of flow to it. That's, that's much, much freer. So you have the advantage of, of like painting, you're making scenes and you're making 
recognizable characters and, and people are interacting with those scenes. But unlike painting, you get to kind of walk around in that environment and uh, explore what the characters are doing in the environment, what you can do with the environment. Um, so it's a lot freer than, than painting, a little more plastic and, and not so you know, like set in one vision, one's, one, uh, one perspective only. So there's two things about comic books that really freed me up from uh, the art career in the background. Like I said, it was a, it's a participatory thing between me and my audience. We share the, the, the story that I'm creating. And there's that flexibility of being able to move around in the space that those two things, you don't really get that in, uh, in painting. Yeah. And the, while you were talking and, and I was listening to you describe kind of this painting and, and the difference in comics, um, how much is your art kind of background and being the artist on it? How, how much does that influence your writing when you're writing the script and how much is your script writing and your, your authorship influencing your like page and panel like layouts and oh, do they and did those sides of your brain ever war because I, I would no, you know I, like are you ever like does artist tim ever yell at writer yes. tim and writer tim yes. ever yell at artist tim yes there's always well not yelling but uh <laughs> it's more like it's it's funny how you think a certain way it should go and then you start drawing it and it's just not gonna work and and yet you had that vision in your head so i guess the vision in your head wasn't really applying itself well to a two-dimensional surface. You know, it was some ideas work really well. Like for example, I won't be too spoilery here, but, um, but, but, you know, I know and may feel like there's a building that blows up. Okay. <laughs> and I'd had the vision in my head of bird's eye view angle of big fireball beneath you mayhem bits and pieces flying apart and I started drawing it like that. And I just said, oh, it doesn't really connect the way I want it to in the comic book page. So then I changed it from bird's eye view to, uh, well, not really uh, worm's eye view, but more, uh, <laughs> a little less, not quite as low as that. Let's say rapid's eye view. Okay. Like <laughs> pretty low to the ground, but not real low. And then looking up at the building going, <laughs> bits and pieces flying everywhere. That was much, much more effective. And I wouldn't have really thought of that thinking about it in, in the script in my head um maybe in a movie with a helicopter over a building with the big fireball moving in front of you and glowing and you know bits and pieces that would have been more effective so i once had a um a guy I was writing a doing the artwork for and it was kind of funny because um he was okay he he kind of turned uh, changed around if i would change his directions every so often but he really loved um, giving directions on the panels as I was drawing them. So he'd say, wide panel, blah, 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 blah. And then he runs over here and runs over there. And then they pull out the gun and they start shooting. Then the next panel, wide panel. <laughs> and he's like, just writing every time he comes up with a great idea, it's going to be wide panel. And it's like, dude, they're just not going to fit on the page the way you are writing it here. It's just like, you're kind of hoping, <laughs> fingers yeah. crossed that, uh, that this is going to connect. So I, we kind of worked out a, a better way of getting the story to flow but it was kind of funny how he just got so excited about his script like he was just gonna say every third panel had to be a wide panel <laughs> he had a style man <laughs> so, hey, so uh i guess that leads me to a question i i, I um i was actually after mayfield eight's kind of wrapped up um 
are you going to go back to working with another writer and you're just the artist or are you just going to all do your own thing or like what's kind of the, the game plan post Mayfield 8? Oh, well, that's a long ways off because it's, you know, hopefully I get three more Kickstarters this year. That's my goal. Um, but at the end of that, um, really don't know what's going on next. I got a lot of vague ideas. So one vague idea is uh, the, the, this, the dramatic potential of a, of setting a story on an Indian reservation, like I said, mm-hmm. in the 1980s. And I'm a white dude, so I don't have any Indian blood in me. So I'm really going to have to do a lot of research and a lot of homework. And maybe, maybe um, I got one murder mystery novel that's set on in that um, uh, Indian reservation that I'm reading right now. But, um, but I like the idea of like a culture that gets that clash, like uh, like it became very very trendy, very popular for, um, for the U S government to grant, um, casino licenses to reservations. I think that kind of cropped up like around then, like the 1980s, 1990s, anybody, I lived in the Midwest United States and it's pretty common to hear about like a, a casino somewhere on an Indian reservation. And I thought that would be a great inline of like culture clash, like lots of wealth coming in and maybe organized crime, uh, the old ways, the old culture being uh, you know, potentially changed forever. And then the added bonus of like most of the reservations have their own law enforcement, you know, their own sheriff's division. They're, they're not part of, um, you know, the federal government in that sense. So there's that little living inside the bubble kind of, Kind of thing, but like I said, that's going to take a lot of a lot more research than Mayfield Aid, like to really get get things right. And I'm going to have to, you know, make a make a few friends with the Native American people, <laughs> have somebody who can be fact checking for me and yelling at me when I'm making mistakes. And but that's well, not, it, that's kind of stirring in the back of my head as a potential yeah. storyline. It sounds really really awesome, and I, I know you know um, I'm going to be excited for it because Mayfield Aid's you know awesome I, I really really enjoyed the um the story so far and i can't wait to read issue three um so before we get out of here uh where can everyone kind of find you on socials or you know all that good stuff um uh, <clears throat> i have a website uh, timsnotebook.com and that will direct you to my store um on the main page you can click mayfield aid you can read a few pages for free they're, they're always up there of issue one and issue two and i got a link there for my kickstarter as well the Kickstarter is called, uh, the, the part three is called Faster Faster. So you can actually search Kickstarter for that term and it'll pop right up. Otherwise, I got a uh, quick link. You could go um, fast.timsnotebook.com. Now I'll just go right to the Kickstarter as well. That's awesome. Tim, thanks again for uh, coming on with me, man. It was an absolute blast. I appreciate it. You're welcome, Andrew. You have a nice evening. Thanks for talking to me. Yeah, you're welcome, man.